This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about this past week's extended legislative session that didn't deal with energy as was expected, the state's budget, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the state's reopening, proposed energy policies, and the state's law impacting gun owners. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois lawmakers are expected to come back sometime this summer after failing to bring sweeping energy legislation across the finish line. The Senate and House recalled the session this week to pass legislation closing coal-fired power plants by 2035 and propping up nuclear energy with subsidies. Exelon's threatened to close some of its nuclear plants this fall because of hundreds of millions in revenue loss. Senate President Don Harmon said lawmakers are close to a final deal. Exelon is on the cusp of a $700 million subsidy. If they close plants out of spite tomorrow, they were going to close those plants anyway. Harmon expects to call lawmakers back sometime this summer to finalize a deal. Governor J.B. Pritzker Wednesday said... It feels like we're so close you can taste it. I think there's an awful lot of room here for us to get what everybody wants, which is keep the jobs, make sure you pay off the bonds that the various municipalities owe, and get the kind of climate change action that we need. Pritzker said that he will not sign anything that goes against his principles of getting 100% green energy by 2050. He said there is flexibility in the 2035 date to close coal-fired power plants if they can prove carbon capture is viable. And if that goal is met and the industry has said that it could meet that goal, that that will then allow beyond 2035 the operation of those coal plants for another 10 years. So we're talking about 24 years from now. That leeway caught Harmon off guard. Uh, I, I confess I was a bit surprised. The governor had been pretty clear, and, and we had started to um, uh, look for alternative models to some sort of special treatment. Harmon said there are too many unknowns over the next quarter of a century, and he doesn't know if carbon capture technology will even work. Illinois' governor corrected an error in the $42 billion budget lawmakers passed. Republicans say he missed an opportunity to nix legislator pay raises and Democratic pork projects. Democrats rushed a budget through in the final hours of regular session last month so fast they didn't catch what they called a Scrivener's error, omitting effective dates for the spending. Governor J.B. Pritzker issued an amendatory veto, fixing the omission, just as the Senate was coming into session. Republican State Senator Jason Berkman said the process is flawed and fails taxpayers. He also said the governor should have used his mandatory veto to cancel pay raises and pork projects. But yet again, the governor caved to the political class to help out the majority who passed a budget in the middle of the night that was so wrecked and damaged that we evidently had to come back and fix it. Pritzker Wednesday dismissed the idea of using his amendatory power to nix lawmaker pay raises and pork projects. Renegotiating, changing substantive portions of the bill was not something that anyone was planning to do. This is just fixing the effective dates. The Senate concurred with the governor's changes Tuesday. The House concurred after changing rules to allow for remote voting Wednesday. Republican State Representative C.D. Davidsmeyer said, despite new House leadership, it's the same games in Springfield. We were told that it was a new day in Illinois. Well, the new day has the same exact processes, the same people, and you can even change the people, but if the process doesn't change, it's the same exact thing. After session Wednesday, House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch responded, 
that it was a successful session. Are there some things that we can be better at? Absolutely, we certainly can. And uh, we're gonna continue to work toward being better each and every day. Republicans want proposed budgets to be posted for up to 30 days in advance for thorough review instead of what's happened for years with last-minute filings they say leads to no oversight and error-prone spending. Illinois Democratic lawmakers taking a victory lap on the passage of the state budget. Kevin Bessler has more. During a press conference Thursday, the governor said Illinois is making a major comeback and doing so with a level of fiscal prudence not seen in our state for two decades. So it's with great pride that I tell you the fiscal year 2022 budget is a responsible balance, addressing the pain of the pandemic while investing in a thriving future for the people of Illinois. According to Illinois policy, a closer examination shows at least a $482 million hole, which they say makes it the 21st year in a row the state failed to balance its budget. They add that the budget also contains a $655 million tax hike and a nearly $1,200 raise for each lawmaker. The $42 billion spending package does not raise individual taxes, but corporations will be paying more. During a press conference Thursday, House Majority Leader Greg Harris said, with this budget, lawmakers are bringing back fiscal stability. And it's done so by closing some corporate tax loopholes so that now some of the largest businesses in the country are helping pay their fair share to educate our kids, to make our communities safe, and to invest in our families. Brad Teets, Vice President of Government Relations with the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, said eliminating those tax incentives will make it more difficult for businesses to rebound from the pandemic. The recovery is, is looking good, but you still we're not out of the woods yet, and we have to we have to make it uh, easier and, and not harder for businesses to reopen. The budget does provide $570 million for small businesses from federal COVID-19 relief funds. I'm Kevin Bessler. Fingerprints will not be mandatory for firearm owners' identification card applicants. The Illinois House voted to approve the Senate version of the Floyd bill, which makes fingerprints voluntary. The bill's sponsor, State Representative Jay Hoffman, said the current application backlog may endanger an Illinoisan's right to own a gun. We don't want that to go away. If we do nothing, we're in jeopardy of there being a constitutional challenge to get rid of the Floyd card system because of this backlog. Representative Andrew Chesney said Illinois should just do away with void cards. But well, we always talk best practices in the state of Illinois. We always want to talk about what other people are doing. And for whatever reason, nobody seems to care that over 90% of the country doesn't have these things. State Representative Keith Wheeler said the provision in the bill that creates a task force to take guns away from expired FOID card holders may have prevented a mass shooting in Aurora several years ago. That person had his FOID card revoked almost five years before that horrible incident occurred. Five years before the shooting, but law enforcement had no tools to be able to recover that. State Representative Diem Azaki opposed the bill, saying it's incomplete. It's not going to fix the outstanding problems that people are experiencing when it comes to actually getting their FOID cards. It's also not doing anything to increase the penalties on individuals who are arrested for gun crimes without a FOID card. Backing off mandatory fingerprinting, which will be voluntary, was a key compromise with gun rights groups like the Illinois State Rifle Association, which remained neutral on the bill. There's been a mounting backlog of FOIA new and renewal applications since before the pandemic. Many of those applicants have been waiting months, well beyond the 30 days set in state law. While Illinois enters Phase 5, 39% of businesses remained closed. Andrew Hensel has that story. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Illinois saw a high number of small businesses close their doors, with the restaurant industry taking the hardest hit. Bryce Hill of the Illinois Policy Institute says one of the main reasons for closures was the pandemic and the state restrictions that came with it. Part of the largest reason is, you know, you had uh, the coronavirus pandemic and then a very strong government response to uh, restrictions on businesses. President of the Illinois Restaurant Association Sam Toya said that part of the reason for these closures is the thin profit margins and lack of cash reserves these restaurants have. A lot of these places were carrying bills from February, but they were going to pay those bills in March, and they didn't have the cash flow, and they didn't have reserves. Illinois has recovered more than 400,000 jobs it lost during the pandemic, but still ranks last in Midwest in job growth over that time period. I'm Andrew Hensel. Another 27,800 Illinoisans filed for initial unemployment claims last week. It's around 1,400 fewer than the week before. However, the number of independent contract workers filing for pandemic unemployment assistance nearly doubled last week from the week before, going from 5,500 to more than 11,000 filers. The Illinois Department of Employment Security claims they've stopped 1.7 million instances of fraud. 
However, they still have yet to indicate how much has cost taxpayers. The Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund continues to be around $5 billion in the red, and if it's not addressed by this fall, the state could be on the hook for interest of that debt. There's an agreement at the state house to use COVID-19 relief dollars from federal taxpayers to pay down that debt, but such a move has yet to be made. The state's sitting on around $8 billion in federal funds that could be used for such purposes. The Illinois State Fair Grandstand Ticket Box Office open for in-person sales for concerts set for this August's Expo, but the state's Illinois Department of Employment Security offices remain closed. IDES officials have not responded with information on when they'll be open back up for in-person service. State Representative Tim Butler said the contrast is evident, and the governor needs to get the offices open back up. While the Illinois Department of Public Health website's tracking total positive COVID-19 cases, the agency's discontinued daily reports to the media. Following the lowest daily reported positive cases since March 2020 on Monday, the agency said it'll only release reports once a week on Fridays. And Juneteenth is now a holiday in the state of Illinois. Kevin Bessler has that story. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a bill Wednesday that made Illinois the 47th state to recognize the day. Juneteenth marks June 19, 1865, when the last slaves were freed in Texas, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. For I know the sacrifices and the pain and the resilience my ancestors endured, and I am thankful to all of them. That is Senator Kimberly Lightford. Representative LaShawn Ford likened the holiday to the current situation regarding marijuana dispensaries. There's not one black majority owner in the cannabis industry. They're behind. No different than two years after the emancipation, black people left behind. What a comparison. Juneteenth will be a paid holiday for state workers and public education professionals only when June 19th falls on a weekday. I'm Kevin Bessler. And those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois in Focus podcast. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square. This is the Crosstalk segment. This is commentary powered by the Center Square. Dan McCaleb, executive editor, joins me now. Danny, what's up, man? Hey, enjoying my second week of um, freedom, I guess, here in Illinois. It's been a week since um, the state fully reopened. My life hasn't changed all that much. I don't know about yours. Um, but hey, at least we can say that we're reopened. I feel really free. I mean, I just feel super free at this point, freer maybe than, than, than ever before. Now that I have permission to do phase phase five things. So I'm I'm outside of, you know, I'm off the bridge, which is good because you, you spend too much time on a bridge. It kind of makes it can be dizzying. Right. So, um, as we step off the bridge, you know, into phase five where, you know, the state has effectively given us permission to live our lives as, you know, we, we were allowed to live them uh, before uh, they started to, like, infringe upon our liberties. Um, only about 60% of Illinois businesses uh, are, are reopened at, at this point. You know, that that per uh, our Andrew Hensel and, and his reporting on uh, where we are at the beginning of... Uh, Whatever this is, the the post maybe the beginning of the post pandemic phase. I don't know what to quite call it. We need to maybe we, maybe we didn't brainstorm that. Come up with a catchy um, phrase as to where we are. We're still not really post pandemic. We're pre maybe pre post. Yes, pandemic something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. So we, we we did fully reopen last week. The state uh, entered phase five, as 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 you mentioned. Um. But now we're starting to take a look at what the long term impacts of the, the the initial government shutdown of the state, um, and then the the long term restrictions, the restrictions that have been in place for uh, fifteen months. What it's had on the economy and what it's had on businesses, 
And we reported this week on a study by the Illinois Policy Institute that says that the 39% of small businesses remain closed despite the fact that we're in phase five. Um, and that's largely because um, they couldn't compete. They couldn't make revenue um, during these the year-long, more than year-long uh, government restrictions. Um, so um, one of the things we talked about during the height of the pandemic was, um, yes, people need to be safe and um, protect themselves from getting uh, COVID-19, particularly the more vulnerable populations, the older populations, those with other underlying uh, health conditions. But we also need to take a look at what the long-term impact on people is going to be of these government uh, imposed restrictions are. Right now, right. we're learning that that is a number of these small businesses remain closed because they don't have the capital, they don't have the revenue uh, uh, needed uh, to reopen. So what Illinois looks like right now is a little scary. What it's going to look like from six months from now, uh, a year from now, uh, that remains to be seen, of course. But certainly we're rooting for these small business owners, these, these job creators, the folks that create the jobs, right. the majority of jobs uh, in Illinois, hoping for them to bounce back. But we just don't know yet because we haven't been through something like this before. Yeah, the, the uncertainty of this, I think, is really is really what's, you know, what's stark. Um, we've been, we, I think we've only talked about COVID and the ramifications of COVID for mm, maybe 65 straight weeks on the <laughs> Illinois and focus podcast. I'm, 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 there might be a, I might be a couple of weeks off there. Um, but we've, we've talked about it a lot. And, and I, I think that, you know, as I look back and, and it's hard not to look back, I mean, as much as you'd like to look forward right now, it's really difficult for me to not look back because all throughout the process of what was happening in Illinois and certainly in other states, I mean, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, California, uh, New Jersey, uh, they managed their states very much the same way. Uh, that Illinois managed, uh, you know, it managed itself. One fundamental difference uh, in Illinois was that our legislature was really not involved in the process in, in, in 2020. And, fr and frankly, for the better part of the first quarter of 2021, that it was all, you know, Governor J.B. Pritzker, um, you know, and, and his executive team, you know, the, you know, the, the Department of Public Health, Illinois Department of Public Health, Dr. Ghazi Azike, and the guidance that they offered on how to do, you know, what the state, what they felt the state needed to do. Um, they've got to bear responsibility for what has occurred uh, from a standpoint of public policy. And as we come out of this, you know, to, to bring it back into the present, I really don't get a great sense uh, that there's a, a, like full accountability for restarting this economy. And, and I, I raise that for this reason. When, when this occurred, you and I both, we, we discussed this, and I cautioned at that time that when you turn an economy off, it's very difficult to turn it back on. It's not like flipping a light switch. Like, it's like, okay, go, you know, let's roll now. Um, I don't have a terrific amount of, of sense for, aside from throwing money at certain, at certain um, categories of, of businesses and, and certainly certain categories of, of people who have been impacted by the, the, you know, the pandemic per the state, I don't have a great sense for how the state is going to improve its situation. Well, I, I can certainly offer some ideas. I doubt um, our uh, state government is interested in them, though. But let's look at let's look at a little bit of the science and the data, the economic science and the data. We mentioned the thirty nine percent of small businesses still remain closed. Uh, Illinois still has an unemployment rate among the highest in the country at seven point one percent. The U.S. unemployment uh, rate is five point eight percent. So we're a full one point three percentage points higher excuse me, uh, yeah, 1.3 percentage points higher uh, than the national unemployment rate of 5.8%. Again, Illinois is at 7.1%. Just take a state like Florida that didn't impose um, the lengthy shutdowns, didn't have the huge restrictions on businesses, um, reopened the state months and months ago. Their unemployment rate is 4.8%. 
two, more than two percentage points, fully more than two percentage points uh, less than Illinois' unemployment rate of 7.1%. So they've already got a huge head start uh, mm-hmm. on uh, fixing their economy, reopening their uh, economy. Of course, Florida is also a no-income tax state. It's a business-friendly state when it comes to regulations. Illinois is the opposite of both. Um, not only does Illinois have a progressive uh, income tax, or excuse me, a, a flat income tax rate, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not considered um, business-friendly. It over-regulates businesses and whatnot. For, for Illinois, um, to have an economy like Florida's, it needs to take a look at itself and it needs to like, take a look at its policies that hamstring businesses um, by overregulating them. So uh, we got a lot of work to do. I, I, the bottom line is Illinois has a lot of work to do to, do to recover uh, from the pandemic. We'd have a lot to work to do if there was no pandemic, but the ba- pandemic certainly has worsened things. Mm-hmm. So the, the the legislature was back into you know, what amounted to be like an overtime session this week in in, in Springfield to do some what they what they said was a budget cleanup and to address a couple of uh, pressing issues. One of them being, you know, like how the state's going to be powered, like literally our energy situation. And the other one was, you know, around the details of a FOID card proposal that that you know would have had. Uh, forced uh, uh, firearms uh, owners to um, get fingerprinted. Um, We'll get to both of those things in a second. Um, Speaker Chris Welch uh, took uh, the the dais yesterday in in Springfield and um, set himself up for a a victory lap for all the great work that had happened under his first year of uh, of management of the House. Maybe a little hasty there. I mean, a uh, little, little quick to to declare victory. So, so to just briefly rehash, um, uh, during the uh, legislative session that ended last month, that began in February, um, it was a pandemic-affected uh, legislative session. Um, but unlike 2020, when they essentially canceled all of session, this year's session was a, a, at least a step back to more normal, where they're, they're, they actually had uh, open committee hearings and whatnot. But we didn't get a budget in, a, in Illinois' um, uh, lawmakers did, it didn't introduce a, uh, a budget proposal until the waning hours uh, of, the, of the session. Taxpayers didn't have a chance uh, to review the budget. Lawmakers uh, who were not on the inside, it was Democratic leadership uh, in the House and the Senate that worked behind closed doors mm-hmm. on this on this budget. Um, so Republican lawmakers and even um, rank and file Democrats didn't have to, a, a chance um, uh, to see this budget. And it was rushed through without uh, anyone having a chance to read it thoroughly. Of course, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Um, so you can't possibly read that in hours, let alone days. Um, weeks and months are needed to hash out uh, a budget of that thing. So they rushed it through. It got passed, and guess what? There were mistakes in the budget. Um, it had an yeah. effect. It had an effective starting date of uh, June first, twenty twenty-two. Well, guess what? Our new budget year starts uh, July first of this year. Uh, so just hey, in a couple, a that's couple a, of weeks. Mistakes are made. I mean, these calendars are tricky. They're relatively new devices. So I mean. We're all getting used to new technology, um, you know, whatever, 2021, 2022, whatever it takes. So at this press conference, exactly, at this news conference yesterday, our Greg Bishop, um, uh, if, you, if you don't follow Greg Bishop, uh, you should read his content at thecentersquare.com. Great reporter, uh, definitely among the best covering state government uh, here here in Illinois. I'd even say he is the best. Um but uh, if you don't follow him, he's at Bishop on air on Twitter. Do follow him. Anyway, after, um, as you mentioned, Speaker Welsh uh, just gushed about all they had accomplished. Uh, our Greg Bishop spoke up and asked, um, well, well uh, you say it's a new day in Illinois. That's, that's, that's uh, since Speaker Welsh took over from a longtime former House Speaker Michael Madigan uh, earlier this year. Speaker Welsh has been saying it's a new day. We're going to do things differently. Well, the fact is they haven't done things differently. Like in 
all the years past since you and I have been covering uh, government in Illinois, which I won't say the amount of years, but it's been a long time. It's many, uh, many years, Dan. Just like, <laughs> many. Just, just like past years, the budget went through just like like it did under Speaker Madigan, where it was introduced at the last minute, and, and, and legislators, our elected representatives in Springfield, let alone taxpayers back home, didn't have a chance to, to figure out what was in it. Um, and so Greg Bishop asked that question. Um, uh, you know, ask them about the transparency of the process and, and the budgeting process. And it's not just the budget uh, that was handled that way. It was many other key um, issues. Uh, but the budget is one of the most important things. It's a $42 billion budget. That's $42 billion in taxpayer dollars we're talking about. That's your mm -hmm. money. That's my money. That's our neighbor's money. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he, asked, he had the nerve to ask that question. Um, and, and Speaker Welsh, as Speaker Madigan, similar to as Speaker Madigan has done in the past, um, uh, essentially fired back at Greg, um, uh, 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 saying he was covering uh, the government for, for the Republican Party. Well, no, he's not. Greg Bishop talks to both sides of the issue, talks to all sides of all issues. His reporting is fair. He covers it from a taxpayer's perspective. Taxpayers have a right to know what's in a budget um, when it's being debated, but it's not being debated in this uh, legislature because they like to do their work behind closed doors and spring it on us. Well, guess what then? Um, mistakes were made in the budget, so they had to come back this week to fix the mistakes that were made because it wasn't reviewed by all lawmakers. It wasn't reviewed by Republican lawmakers, um, and it's just a shame that it is not a new day in Illinois, uh, as Speaker Welsh claims it is. Um, it's business as usual in Springfield. Yeah, I think what stands for normal here uh, in the state of Illinois is only normal here. I mean, you know, in even places like, um, you know, like the like the, I mean, like the states I just referenced, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, California. There is open conversation about legislation <laughs> and certainly conversations occur about the budgets in these states in the timing in which that state sets its budgets and it is bipartisan and it is done in the open and it is conducted in such a way that voices can be heard i was really I'm, i have to be honest i'm i you know i mean let me start that over I am disappointed in Speaker Welch coming out of the box after his first run through legislative session because it's not a new day. It's not a different day. It's Groundhog Day. It just continues to be the same mechanics, the same political subterfuge that has plagued Springfield, as you said, for decades. There's not any improvement in process there. There's no effort to bring voices in or to respect people. Hey, let's just say that Illinois, you know, let's buy into to, to, um, Chris Welch's narrative about, you know, sort of the Republican talking points. And that's kind of what he accused Greg of. It's not true, but let's just take a deep breath and go, okay, how far off is the state in terms of its political identity at this point? Let's just say it's a 60-40 split, that it's 60 Dems, 40 Republican, okay, across the state of Illinois. The legislature doesn't reflect that. The bills that get passed, they don't reflect that. And this budget certainly doesn't reflect that. There's, there, there isn't even 40%, I would say, Republican, and I'm putting air quotes around that, um, because certainly not everybody in the state who is conservative or would be fiscally interested in what the state's doing as a Republican. That's a false narrative. And uh, that's just Chris Welch throwing shade. And, and, you know, it's not just Republicans that are uh, critical of this process. In one of Greg's Bishop's stories um, this week, we talked, he talked to uh, state representative LaShawn Ford, who's a, a Democrat from Chicago. Um, and he agreed 
with the re Republican talking points uh, that the process needs to be tra transparent. I'm going to uh, quote two of his two of the things he said uh, he told us. Uh, this is uh, State Representative LaShawn Ford, a Democrat from Chicago. Quote, we have to make sure that we have a process where we don't have a budget that is filed last minute, where we're spending billions of dollars with very little time for members to review. Still quoting. I think that it's important that we as legislators step up and we talk to the Speaker of the House and the Senate pre President and say, look, we want to make sure that rank and file members, people that are not on the budget team, really get an opportunity to review these budgets before they are voted on. <clears throat> so it's not just Republicans who are complaining about the process. It's rank and file Democrats, um, too, because they're also kept outside of the loop. And they represent, combined, millions of uh, Illinois voters and taxpayers mm -hmm. who, at the end of the day, have the ultimate right to know what's being what their money is being spent on. Unfortunately, it's business as usual in Springfield under the new speaker. Um, we can hope for change. Um, we can, uh, you know, preach change uh, here. We'll see, though. Well, I, and I think you make a good point there. I mean, and I mean, if, if people of the in the you know in the power you know the the, the power party, the, the party that holds supermajority in both the House and the Senate, if their membership isn't even aware of what's in the budget, that kind of makes you wonder. Who's putting this together? I mean, is this is this being con constructed by one or two or three people? You know, I mean, it's not a very the way small it, number. Yes, it's it's not the way it should be done. I mean, that would be my that would be my like just straight line criticism. That's not the way it should be done. You know, businesses don't operate like that. Successful businesses certainly don't operate like that. Um. Yeah, it's it's weak. Um. All right, on we go. So there was some conversation this week about uh, where the state's energy is going to be coming from, or more specifically, where the state would like its energy not to come from uh, by the magical year twenty thirty five, which you know nationwide is when uh, we are all supposed to be driving around in electric cars and powering our house houses from um or our communes I, i'm not sure if we if we'll be able to keep our houses but we'll but we'll be powering our our dwellings by solar and, and wind energy and uh, the days of the 6.4 liter uh combustion gas engine will be gone um what happened this is we're talking about well, sorry for the for the wacky run-up talking about like Coal, coal-fired nuclear, coal-powered nuclear, uh, in the state, um, Comed Exelon, talk to me, yeah, get me so, updated here. What what happened? So in this extra session uh, this week, um, in addition to having to fix the budget that nobody read before they voted on it, um, the more progressive uh, members of the uh, Illinois legislature and Gover Governor Pritzker himself wanted to push through an energy uh, bill. That would, among other things, uh, ban uh, coal-fired power plants by 2035. It's uh, it's 2021, so 14 uh, years from 14 short um, uh, years from now. That would um, bail out Exelon uh, and their Exelon's nuclear uh, power plants uh, to the tune of more than 700 million dollars, um, and um, put the state on a trajectory to have to uh, be 100 percent. Uh, on clean energy by uh, 2050. So a very, very aggressive energy plan. There were some some pushback by um, uh, among all uh, among all groups, uh, unions who represent uh, workers in the in the coal uh, power industry, um, who said 2035 is too uh, is too soon. It's just not going to be able to happen. You're going to lose all these tens of thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of workers who uh, work in this industry are going to lose their jobs. We're not going to be able to transition um, to clean energy, um, uh, to 100% clean energy by then. So they stalled the package. The package did not get um, 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 passed, but they're still hoping to get some sort of a compromise legislation through uh, by the end of the summer. What does the compromise legislation do? Maybe pushing that uh, banning coal uh, powered uh, power plants 
2045 from 2035, um, but still eliminating uh, that as an option. Um, so uh, th there'll be some, I'm sure, some behind closed doors meetings um, between the interested parties uh, uh, during the course of the summer, and we'll learn about it uh, a few minutes before they decide to vote on it. So was there any discussion about uh, uh, about rates? I mean, you know, to take this down to a consumer level, has there been any any analysis uh, offered, you know, for ultimately what, you know, I, I, what energy is going to cost? And I'm asking the question from this perspective. I think that most people, um, you, you know, would just say the environment is important. Um, you cannot live in a toxic waste dump. Um, that's not a good long-term strategy. And so, okay, um, we're going to go to, you know, in theory, greener, cleaner energy. Of course, nuclear energy is pretty darn good, when, you know, when, it, when, when you consider it in those terms. Has there been any conversation about, like, what does the cost of whatever it is that we're trying to achieve by 2035 to the consumer has there been any conversation uh, about that? There's been little to no conversation about that um, in Springfield, but the reality is is that consumer prices are going to go up. Energy costs are going to uh, go up uh, when you rush something like this through. People are going to lose jobs. Um, when you're try trying to transition from something that's been powering this country for a century or more um, to something really that's really at the early, um, the infancy stages, um, um, uh, there's going to be increased costs for, for, for that. But the, the other thing of it is, is too, we don't know that 100% um, uh, clean energy is going to be, be able to provide all the power, all of the energy uh, that we need and use. California is a couple years ahead of where Illinois is at when this, and we see what happens. Um, we've seen what happens in in uh, what in California with the rolling blackouts and whatnot. So there's there's multiple concerns here. It's not just uh, it's just not what it's going to do to consumer prices. It's what it's going to do to jobs. Our traditional oil and gas and, and coal powered energy uh, want to pay they, the jobs pay well and uh, two there's hundreds of thousands of them millions across the country um, to clean energy to date the wages have not kept up with what um, um, uh, the, the traditional oil and gas and coal industry wages uh, are at right now so um, they're going to be even if you replace one for one uh, but we don't even know that that's the case um, uh, uh, clean power with or dirty power with clean power um it's going to be lower wages um there's we don't know that there's going to be the capacity um for the power that uh, americans illinoisans uh, are going to need um and we just don't know if we can do it by 2035 or 25 or 2050 and, and many experts say it's not possible that we right. we're going to be relying on oil and gas and coal for decades to come yes we can transition uh, there, but we have to be uh, smart about that transition. Can't get overly aggressive with it because of all these other ramifications that are out there. Mm -hmm. So, what you're saying is that you know you and I um, could say like we could be standing in your driveway uh, uh, drinking a, a you know a cold beverage, and I could say to you, Dan, I'm going to reach around to my back and put my fingers through my back belt loop and pick myself up off of the ground and fly into the clouds by 2035. You can say but, that, but I might not be able to do that by 2035. <laughs> um, probably not. Uh, okay. I just want to be clear on that. So I will not make that bet. Well, I'll make that bet. If you want to make that, bet. I, I'll let me think about it. Have you thought about it? I'm done. I'm not, I don't want to do it. Oh, that's too bad for me. Gentleman's bet, but we're going to pass. We'll find something else to do. All right. So, yes, these discussions need to be need to be happening. But to set arbitrary deadlines like we're going to do this by 2035, we have to do this by 2035. We just don't know if we can get there yet. And we don't know what the impact is going to be on jobs, on consumers, you know, who are going to pay 
uh, pay for it on the total amount of energy production. Um, if it's if it if there's going to be enough energy to power our homes twenty four seven, seven days a week. How about this? I mean, what what would the what would the pension obligation be in Illinois by twenty thirty five if we don't address that in the next ten years? And then to layer on what would what reasonably would be additional costs for simply living in a home that had electricity and and heat in it. It just com- uh, continue to pile up. The pension analogy, of course, is uh, Illinois taxpayers are on the hook for 140 billion plus dollars um, uh, for uh, uh, retirement costs of public. Uh, employees. They have the state legislature hasn't worked uh, to address that. They've ignored um, that problem for years. That cost is only continuing to rise because of the legislature refuses to acknowledge it as a problem, a very big problem. Um, so there's no action on that. There's aggressive action uh, on energy that we don't know what the long-term ramifications are, but we can give a pretty good educated guess that it's not going to be cheaper. So um, one last thing uh, out of Springfield this week, there wasn't a tremendous amount of activity except for all the victory laps that that were attempted to be taken. Um, Something worth talking about, the Floyd bill that had been presented that um, would require fingerprints for firearm owners, that has past but it's been ratcheted down and really is a much ado about nothing piece of legislation because they've made the fingerprint part of this optional so this is a bill that does nothing has no impact and ultimately won't solve or even address any particular problem uh but um yeah, victory lap. We did it. So, a little background um, here. Since even before the pandemic, in Illinois, uh, if you're an Illinois resident and you want to buy or buy a firearm in the state of Illinois, the state requires you um, to register uh, to to apply to receive what's called a firearm owner's identification card, FOID. Um, for short, <laughs> since even before the pandemic, um, and, and state law required, and you have to apply through the state, Illinois State Police, um, and state law required Illinois State Police to do that background check, to, uh, to do the different checks in order to issue you your FOID card within 30 days. Even pre-pandemic, uh, state police was not uh, meeting that 30-day requirement. Well, the pandemic only exacerbated the situation. Um, Folks who have applied for a new FOID card or a renewal of their FOID card have had to wait months and months and months um, to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Remember that owning a firearm is uh, guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution uh, in in the Second Amendment. Um, And so there's been growing... um, criticism of the state. One, there's plenty of people who think the Floyd uh, card law is uh, unconstitutional um, and should be rescinded. Um, But then uh, when this backlog uh, started snowballing, uh, more and more critics started jumping on board. So the Illinois legislature attempted to, uh, in in an attempt to make the Floyd application process uh, more efficient, um, to try and uh, reduce the backlog of uh, FOID applications, um, started to make things worse because there were uh, lawmakers who wanted to require fingerprinting to be a part of the FOID process. In yeah. order to buy a firearm in Illinois under this thinking, you'd have to go in and give your fingerprints that the state then could keep on file. Of course, you know, I know, it's not criminals, criminals who use guns, um, uh, who apply for and receive FOID cards. So it was ridiculous. It would have only added to the backlog. Um, thankfully, um, greater minds prevailed uh, in this one. And what they passed down was much watered down legislation that uh, may or may not have any effect whatsoever uh, on the months long backlog uh, for folks who are trying to either renew or get a new uh, firearm owner's identification card in the state. 
you know, there are things that are brought forward, you know, uh, in the legislature and there, you know, there have, you know, in particular over the last few years, just been some ideas that, that, that you just look at and you go, what priorities does this state have? I mean, you know, legislatively, what are the, what are the laws that we really need to work on? And I would add this one to, to that list of, uh, of ideas that just seem to be misguided or part of a national effort um, to, to tweak conservatives specifically, I would say, because it's, you know, you, you'd mentioned this, it's not legal gun owners that are out committing heinous crimes with their, with, you know, with their, with their guns. That's just not statistically there. Okay. Um, Number one, number two, if you introduced this idea during the pandemic, which they did, when they cannot process void card applications as as they have existed for years, where they do a simple background check on you and determine whether or not you've committed a, a crime or or you know whatever the other criteria might be, um, adding fingerprints on top of that and then going back to the existing holders of FOID cards and asking them to be fingerprinted um, or risk losing their FOID card, a complete waste of everyone's time because it, it never in the, in, 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 you know, in the realm of possibility could have been completed. It just doesn't, it didn't make any sense from the very beginning, the logistics of it. I mean, how many FOID card holders are there in the state of Illinois? A million? Good question. I don't know, but a, a lot. Yeah, sure. I mean, we we don't have. I mean, <laughs> we don't. We can't open the Illinois Department of Employment Securities. We can't okay. open those offices. And and we've and we've supposedly, you know, um, per the governor, have overwhelmed the state's services, which is insano because it's like we have more people working for the government in Illinois than uh, on a per capita basis than virtually any other state in the union. And our ratio of, of state employees to citizens, it's among the highest in the United States and we cannot service them already. We're going to add layers of bureaucracy to it from the very beginning this was just an attempt to talk about lawful gun owners' rights and to take a shot at diminishing those rights even further in the state of Illinois. So they've already pushed into the Second Amendment in the state of Illinois and required that you have a FOID card, which you can't even walk into a gun store and touch anything without a FOID card. Like you couldn't pick up a box of ammunition and look at it without a FOID card. Okay, which is insane. It's it just doesn't make any sense at all. And they were going to try to push into it again. So whatever you know, uh, wisdom intervened here. Cheers for that. If 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 Governor Pritzker and uh, Speaker Welch want to take a victory lap, it would be for this do nothing, no nonsense piece of legislation that they just passed around Floyd. Yeah, and, and, and as you mentioned, <laughs> yes, there's a problem with gun violence um, in Chicago, no doubt, and there has been for a long, long, long time. But um, when it when it the, the relatively rare times when arrests are made in Chicago, uh, how many of the folks who committed these gun crimes um, uh, are on file as as FOID uh, uh, card owners? None. Or very few, anyway. It's 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 essentially um, a, a solution without a problem. Well, we do have very real problems here in Illinois. You mentioned it uh, just earlier. We have a hundred and forty billion dollars in pension debt. There was no legislation debated uh, during this legislative session to fix that. Um, why not? That's a very real problem that affects every single taxpayer from the top to the bottom of the state. Um, so it's typical nonsense. Uh, from Springfield, but uh, it's what we've all come to expect. Well, you were taping this on on Thursday, 
June 17th. And, and uh, it was just announced uh, earlier this morning in um, uh, a joint press conference that Chicago representative LaShawn Ford, who we referenced uh, earlier uh, in the podcast, um, revealed publicly that he's been diagnosed with cancer. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, we're, we're rooting for you. Um, I think Representative uh, Ford from Chicago is a, is a stand-up guy. And um, uh, we, we want to just wish him the, the, the absolute the very best in, in, yeah. in his recovery. Absolutely. I did not know that. I was not able to turn into that news conference. So this is news to me. Certainly um, wish him the best in his fight uh, against this, uh, this thing. Um, I think we probably all have known folks who have uh, battled and beaten cancer. So we wish uh, Representative Ford the best. Dan, I think we're about uh, out of time uh, today. Uh, any, any final thoughts, parting shots? What do you got? Uh, parting shots. So it's Father's Day weekend, uh, Chris. I know you're a father's day, uh, a father. Happy Father's Day to you and happy Father's Day to all uh, the fathers out there. Um, go celebrate your freedom. Now that we're into week two of Illinois reopening, yeah, I, I plan I plan to do that. I, I look I look forward to, to celebrating uh, Father's Day by doing nothing, <laughs> which 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 I think is like it's the only day of the year where I can just declare uh, full sovereignty in my in my home. Uh, I've been blessed with you know an absolutely fantastic wife. Um, my mom lives with us. And we have uh, three daughters. And so, um, yeah. So, well, you know, I, I've been informed by my daughter that Father's Day was canceled this year in the, in this house. My daughter's wow. birthday, my daughter's 18th birthday is Sunday, June 20th, which just happens to be Father's Day this year. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> wow. You got, written, you got written out of the plan, son. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Well, I'll tell you, I'll meet you on the driveway. We can talk about how I'm going to lift myself into the sky by 2035 on Saturday, which is the day before. So we'll celebrate Father's Day Eve together. Um, I look I, forward to that conversation. I will. Uh, I will. Uh, I, will, I, will, I will. I will pick up the necessary supplies uh, on my way over. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for keeping a pulse uh, on what's going on, uh, not only in Illinois but across the country at thecentersquare.com. Dan McCaleb's our executive editor. For Dan, this has been Chris Krug. Now back to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, the team at the Center Square will continue to unpack some of the 650 bills that the State House passed that have the greatest impact on taxpayers, continue reviewing the pandemic's impact on the economy, and track the latest developments from the governor's proposed energy policies. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.